Let's have a little look at this uh, text this morning and just ask what God is, is saying to us through, through His Word. Um, we've been going through the first couple of chapters, taking out some big chunks. Um, this last few weeks, part of our Advent series, we've been going through Luke 1 and Luke 2 and just preparing our hearts and learning about God, uh, how God set into motion His plan for salvation um, for the world. And so we uh, will see this morning, we're going to be concentrating on this um, this gift that Mary here is talking about, this gift of mercy. And so today we're going to be thinking about God's gift of mercy at Christmas. God's gift of mercy at Christmas. And so as we go through this text, this morning we're going to ask, first of all, what is it? What is that gift? We're going to ask, why is it there? We're going to ask, how you get it? And thirdly, what difference does it make? So what is it? Why is it there? How do you get it? And what difference does it make? The gift of God's grace, sorry, God's mercy at Christmas. So first of all, what is God's mercy? When we talk about mercy, and when Mary talks about mercy here in the scripture, what does she mean? Uh, Because she has clearly discovered something um, that evokes this outburst of praise. Um, God is is doing a new thing. He's doing, doing something revolutionary. There's something new coming. And Mary is the sort of the focus of, of that, or rather the first phase of that. Uh, the background, by the way, uh, as we come to look at this text, is that uh, uh, the angel Gabriel has appeared and has predicted the coming of John the Baptist, who himself is a forerunner to the Messiah, to Jesus. And, and Elizabeth, who it tells us, is advanced in years and up until that moment had been infertile, um, found herself uh, to be pregnant. Um, and at the time when Mary went to visit her, she, Elizabeth was three months pregnant with John the Baptist, right? And, and around this time, the angel Gabriel then appeared to Mary um, and uh, said, You are going to bear the Messiah, the Son of God Most High. And, and, and he is going to have the throne of his father David, King David that is. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the, the child that you're going to bear, Mary. And so we, we saw last week how uh, after being given this amazing message and having the Holy Spirit conceive uh, the Messiah within her, um, it says she went with haste to Elizabeth, who she knew was uh, pregnant uh, with John the Baptist. And so we concentrated on these verses last week, how, how Mary appeared and, and, and went into Elizabeth, and Elizabeth, said, was filled with the Holy Spirit and, 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 and sort of... Uh, was, was empowered to utter this, this truth, this blessing upon Mary. Blessed are you. Um, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed are you among all women. Mary. And, and, and as Mary listened and spent time with Elizabeth, she had that, that message given to her by, by Gabriel, uh, you know, confirmed and reinforced to her. And so today then, after this has all happened, we see a Mary's sort of joy-filled response. And it's in this section uh, of the Bible, um, commonly called the Magnificat. Now, that sounds like a sort of cartoon superhero cat called Magnificat. But actually, the word comes from the the Latin translation. The first word in the Latin translation is Magnificat. You know, my soul magnifies. That's what that word means. That's where it comes from. And traditionally, that's what this section is known, the Magnificat. But anyway, uh, it's it's, it's Mary's joy-filled response to hearing uh, Elizabeth's sort of uh, spirit-empowered utterance Uh, Mary, of course, has already had revelation from God. She's already had this message from the angel. And and yet, in 
coming into contact with Elizabeth and hearing this message and sort of this encouragement, it just took the revelation of God from the angel and, and packed it in deeper, packed it in deeper and richer into her heart. And it exploded in this, this sort of outpouring of praise that we're, we're going to look at in a few moments' time. The thing I want to just point out here before we, before we carry on is, is how important it is uh, that this is happening together in community. Yes, it's amazing when God speaks to people individually and personally, and he does that, and it's wonderful. But yet she shares that uh, with someone else who also is of faith. And then together they sort of uh, enhance one another and they encourage one another and they get to enjoy that, that, that together. And they encourage uh, each other's faith. That's so rich. That's why we say here at Foundation Church we are a spirit-empowered community. Because we're, we're, we're a community uh, together on mission for Jesus and his spirit works among us. So we get to share that and encourage one another. And, and you see that the Holy Spirit and his ministry is so rich um, throughout all of Jesus' ministry, but especially at this most fundamental time, the, the, the coming of the Messiah, most powerfully at work. You know, John the Baptist, it says, is filled with the Holy Spirit from within the womb. Uh, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Zachariah later was filled with the Holy Spirit and, and prophesied as the, the father of John the Baptist. Anyway, uh, Mary then, as she realizes God's amazing grace upon her, she, she, she erupts in this praise and this worship in these verses that we shall see here. So what is the substance? What is this gift of mercy at Christmas? Well, look down at verse 48. Um, he has looked uh, on his humble, on the humble estate of his servant. He's looked on the humble estate of his servant. Another Bible translation puts it like this. He has looked at this lowly servant girl. This is the, the substance of God's mercy and, and Mary's experience of that mercy. He's looked down on someone like me. He's, he's taken notice of me. We, we saw last week, and, and, and just for reflection, you know, that Mary herself was a young woman. Uh, she was pregnant. She was pregnant out of, of wedlock, which was a, a deeply shameful thing in that very um, conservative and, and, and ancient society. And so she was not much in the eyes of the world. She didn't have much going for her. She was certainly not powerful and strong. She was someone who would expect to be passed over all the time. You know, someone who was not great or not significant. But yet, she realizes that to God, she is significant. To God, she was great. And he showed her remarkable mercy at this time. You know, the world today will teach us that if you're born in the, in the wrong family, or if you've come from the wrong place, or you live in the wrong neighborhood, or even if you're a member of the wrong race, or you received the wrong education, if any, if, if that applies to you, then the world will, will look down upon you. It, it will be condescending and patronizing towards you. It will treat you as if you are nothing, if you do not have those credentials going for you. If you don't have those things going for you, then the world will consider you to be garbage, pointless and useless. And as such, you can't get anywhere. If that is you, if you're in that position, you can't get anywhere because the world does not give you any opportunities. You will not be loved or honoured by those who are in power. That's generally how the world treats people who are lowly. But not so with God. Not so with God. And Mary shows this in, in glorious colour. God takes and uses this lowly servant girl, as she calls herself, and she, he does something extraordinary with her. Look down at verse, uh, the second half of verse 48. She says, look, behold, from now on, from this moment forward, all generations will call me blessed. 
I can't believe that God has, has looked with favour upon me, so much so that all generations will call me blessed. And who am I? Her fame and renown will continue, this lowly servant girl. God has chosen to pour his great mercy upon her. Isn't that awesome? And then folks, this is why Christmas is important. This is why Christmas is important. Because it is, it is possible that you can be treated differently by God than what you have previously experienced. Christmas is important because you can be treated differently to what you would expect to be treated for someone like you. Maybe you have gotten used to being looked down upon for some reason or other, or, 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 or suffering the consequences of being disadvantaged because of your background or your situation. That's how the world operates, but not so with God. We see that here. This is why Christmas is so important. Maybe you have experienced rejection from someone close to you, perhaps. Maybe you know what it is to be despised by a certain group or a certain type of person or even a, an actual person. Maybe you have always grown up feeling like a misfit or, or underprivileged, not like other people. But Christmas is here to remind us that there is mercy for you. God wants to take notice of you. So what is it? It is God's undeserved mercy upon this lowly servant girl. That's what it looks like. And it's there for us too. It's there for us too. Before we go on and ask ourselves, how do we, how do we get that? How do we actually access that mercy and, 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 and receive it into ourselves? We have to ask ourselves, take a step back for a second. Why is it there? Where did this mercy come from? Because this, this text that we're, gonna, we're looking at just here is more than a story of Mary's own personal fortune. Because what she's doing here, and we'll see this in a minute, she, she realises that the, 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 the mercy has always flown, flowed out of God to his people, and she is one person in that great stream of God's mercy to receive it. And so here she is switched on to what God has been doing all along. His mercy has been made personal to her, and she erupts in praise and worship. This is what God has been doing from day one. This is who God is. This is the kind of God he is. That's why it's there. Look down at verse 51 through 53. Uh, she presents these sort of sets of contrasts about what God is like. She says he has shown his, the strength, uh, strength with his arm, but yet he's scattered uh, uh, in the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. That is, those who are proud in their hearts, God has scattered. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, but exalted those of humble estate. It's that same word again. She's used of herself. He has Filled the hungry with good things, and yet the rich he has sent away empty. This is what God is like. This is what his mercy is like. It flows from who he is. This isn't just something that he has created specifically for Mary. This is, a, this is, her, this is what God has been doing uh, from the start. His special love we see here and elsewhere, many other places in Scripture. His special love, his interest is particularly for those who are lowly who are low in the eyes of the world, who are poor, who are vulnerable, physically, spiritually, emotionally, economically. These are the kinds of people that God's heart is especially attuned towards. The question I want to ask is, is when did all this happen? When did God show his strength? When did he bring down the mighty? When did he fill the hungry with food? What, what is Mary referring to when she says all of this? 
well, we have seen uh, together as Foundation Church throughout our various teaching series over the last few years, we have seen that God um, has been consistently revealing himself through interacting in human history. God has an excellent track record of being merciful to his people. We've seen this time and time again. He is consistent, he is faithful, he is strong. Whether it's the plagues on Egypt, whether it's the parting of the Red Sea, he's shown his power. He has brought down the mighty. We saw uh, a few months ago um, in our series through the book of uh, Joshua, how he brought down the the fortified city of Jericho, how he destroyed the the super army of, of Canaanite kings. We've seen how kings have fallen and giants have fallen. Pharaohs and emperors have been swept aside. We have seen how God has fed uh, his hungry people in the wilderness with with manna and quail. We've seen how he has uh, uh, fed them water from a rock. He has brought economic prosperity to his people Israel. God has done this time and time and time again. His mercy is rich. It flows. But there is more to what Mary says right here. Time for a bit of Greek verbiage. If that's okay. Uh, you can, if you're not into that, by the way, you can switch off for a few minutes and I'll call you back in a second. But this is actually really important and um, it will hopefully help to unlock what Mary is actually saying here. Um, can you see in the, in the text in verse 51, 52, 53 where, where she says, He has shown strength. He has brought down. He has filled. What she is doing is referring to a specific past event. Uh, it's not immediately clear in the English translation, but when you, when you go back to the original Greek, that's, that's the type of verb that is being used here. It's a specific act that's happened in the past. Um, Daryl Bock, who, who is a professor of New Testament uh, theology, says that she is using what he calls prophetic aorist tenses. Okay, Sounds really exciting, and if it's your first time to church, welcome. We don't speak like this all the time, but it's really uh, interesting. She is using prophetic aorist tenses. What does that mean? That means that Mary is referring here to a past event that has such certain future conclusions that she speaks as if it's already happened. Do you get that? She is referring to a past event that is so important with such certain future conclusions that she speaks as if it's already happened. That's in the original Greek. And this. It just requires a bit of digging for us to get there. But we're there. That's what's going on. She is so certain that these things will come to pass in the future that she speaks as if they have already happened. Here's an illustration that might help. Uh, Imagine a sports team, whether it's football or rugby or whatever you are into. And and that team in in that that particular season is so far ahead in the league that no one can catch them up. No one can caught. It's mathematically impossible for them not to be champions, for them not to win. But the season has not finished yet. Even though they have effectively won the league, the cup is yet to be lifted because they still have a few more games to play, just to see it out. So we can call them champions, and yet they have not been crowned as such. In a similar way then, this this event has happened to Mary. Looking back to something that has happened to her, she she has been... Conceived, the Messiah has been conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. She is currently carrying God's Messiah. And yet she looks forward to what will happen in the future. The certainty, the sureness of what will happen when God's Messiah comes to power. God's salvation is, is fleshed out. God will bear the strength of his arm. 
He will bring down the mighty from his thrones. He will fill the hungry with food when God's Messiah comes of age and comes to power. This is what will happen. She is so certain of this because God has done a great thing for me. This is what will happen. So that's what she's saying here in verses 51 through to 53. These things shall happen when the Messiah comes into his kingdom, when great David's greatest son takes his throne and his everlasting kingdom, which will never fade or never go away. All of this, by the way, is what Israel has been hoping for. All of this has been promised to God's people Israel years and years ago. It is the source of their expectation. And now, and now, finally, through Mary, through this, this one of lowly estate. Now the wheels are turning. Now this is in motion. Now what was promised is actually starting to happen. It's on his way. And when he comes, the Messiah, his kingdom comes, he will show the strength of his arm. He will lift up the lowly. He will fill the hungry and he will satisfy them with good food. So you can see when the, the kingdom of God's Messiah comes, when the kingdom of Jesus comes, there is going to be this great reversal. This great turning up on its head. This is what God is bringing. You know, the world will say that it's the rich that are powerful. But yet, in God's kingdom, it's those who are poor that will be lifted up. The great reversal. And that comes with the birth of Jesus Christ. Mary is just starting to taste his mercy. And she says, isn't it amazing? Someone like me. Someone like me has been exalted. God's favour and mercy upon me. And so there's mercy for us at Christmas because that's who God is. That's, that's what he's like. That's what he's always been like. That's what he's been carefully working out, crafting throughout history until the time of Christ and beyond. And now here in this part of the story, it is so near. The Messiah is coming. He's here. And through Jesus, God is setting up this restored realm that turns everything on his head, everything upside down. The prophet Isaiah was getting at something similar many years before all this took place. He said, Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. On the throne of David and his kingdom he will uphold it with justice and righteousness forevermore. He was speaking about the one who was about to be born, Jesus. His kingdom of peace and beauty and justice and joy and, and satisfaction there will be no more hunger the weak are lifted up everything is made right that is what Jesus came to bring and the coming kingdom was kick started with Mary so we've seen what that mercy is we've seen why we have it because it's God just simply being who he's always been so let's start, start to think a bit more personally now. How do we get it? How do we access that kind of power, that kind of mercy that is poured out upon Mary? How do we, how do, we do that? How do we get that? Well, see, Mary in this text here is connecting the dots. She, she's maybe familiar with the big picture of God and what he's been doing and, and what he's done for her people uh, over many centuries, the people of Israel. And she started to connect the dots between God's big sort of plan of, of salvation and restoration of all things, and she's connected the dots between that and herself. Suddenly she has plugged into that. She, she, she's now almost personally part of that. 
to get swept up into God's grand narrative, into his plan. And so the question, I suppose, that we, we want to ask ourselves today is how do we, like her, become swept up, connected to God's great saving plan um, of, of, of the world uh, to, to access this, this kingdom of peace and beauty and joy that, that she so movingly talks about here. Especially if we are lowly or are considered to be outcasts or, or downtrodden by the world, how can we access the mercy of God? We'll look down at verse 50. This is so key for us today. Verse 50 says this, and she says, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. See that? The message translation puts it like this. His mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. Wave upon wave for those who are in awe. This, folks, is how you get and receive the mercy of God, the gift of Christmas. This is how it comes to us when we fear, when we are in awe of God, when we are rightly positioned to him and his saving purposes. But do you notice there's a type of person who is immune from the mercy of God, who cannot receive the mercy of God. We've already sort of covered it a little bit, down in verses 51 to 53. Can you see those who are able to enter and access and receive the mercy of God? And can you see those who are not able to enter and access and receive the mercy of God? Isn't it those who are proud in their hearts that God scatters? Isn't it those who sit in positions of power against God that are brought down? Isn't it the rich that get sent away from God empty? These people are immune from the mercy of God. They don't receive God's mercy. That's not, by the way, because God despises money or richness. He doesn't despise power or government in and of themselves. In fact, both of these things are his gifts to his people to build his kingdom. The problem here is when good gifts are taken by people and used to build their own kingdoms rather than God's kingdom. So, if you use power to build your own name and your own renown, then you're not interested in God's mercy. You don't need it, you say. You're already powerful. You're already influential. What what good is God to me? Likewise, if you have riches, material possessions, if you have comfort, then what good is God for me? I don't don't need that's that's for the poor, that's for the that's for the weak. You know, Karl Marx said that religion is uh, the opium for the people. Or was it Nietzsche? One of those two. One of those German guys. Marx. These are the people who cannot and will not receive God's mercy because they don't think they need it. The rich are self-reliant. Those in positions of power have significance of themselves, they don't need God. Those who are proud think they've got it all sorted and therefore they're not like those people who are weak in mind and need God. The lowly ones. They don't receive mercy because they don't think they need it. So who does receive mercy then? What kind of people do receive God's mercy? Or can receive God's mercy? Surely it is those like Mary who ultimately realize that they are of humble estate, as she says. I love that word, humble estate. 
who realise that they haven't got much of worth or value aside from God. That everything else in life is just trinkets and playthings compared to what God can give and who he is. Those who are hungry, those who are empty, those who are weak, they are those who are positioned to receive the mercy of God. Those whom the world looks down upon, they are positioned to receive the mercy of God. They realise they have nothing of any ultimate value, but instead see God's kingdom, God's system, as everything, as ultimate riches. These are the ones who are open to the Messiah. They hope for him. They need him. One of my visits to Africa, uh, I, I, you know, I've witnessed <clears throat> what, is, what is vast, you know, a group of people, a nation um, of people who have vastly less than us, materially speaking. And yet, uh, certainly in the country of Ghana that I was in two years ago, um, possess such great joy and longing for God as a nation. In fact, the country of Ghana has over 70% church attendance. Here in Northern Ireland, it's between 9 and 10%. Over in England, my home country, it's 2 to 3% church attendance. 70% in Ghana. It's amazing. Materially poor. And yet they have such great longing for God. Sometimes when you, when you go around uh, the streets of Accra, uh, you'll see uh, various individuals with their buses or their cars or their minivans. And depending on the age of the, the, the vehicle in question, they will have different slogans on the top of their, of their windscreens or stuff on the top of the car. If it's, if it's a new car, it's like it's in good nick. Maybe they've only had it for a year or so. It will say something like, God is good. Praise the Lord. But then you'll see other cars, other bang bangers, you know, that look like they shouldn't be on the road. And it'll say something different. It'll say, help me God. God provide. You know, they're crying out. Sometimes, you know, as, as Western people, we can, we can look at folks from, from Africa or other nations, as rather other, other continents. And when we think to ourselves, in our arrogance, oh, they, well, what backwards people? They're, they're culturally behind us. Uh, or, or we'll look and we'll think, well, that's just the effects of colonialism and eventually it'll, it'll you know, dwindle out. But that's not the case because Christianity is growing. It is growing in Africa, it is growing in Latin America, it is growing in Asia. The spiritual hunger and this material hunger come together and they desire the Messiah far more than we do. In fact, it's no surprise that in rich Western nations such as our own, people are abandoning the faith and churches are emptying out. Because we've become self-sufficient and, and, and our own needs are not there anymore. We're not hungry. And so we don't hunger after God. There is a connection between the physical and the spiritual, of course. So here's how Christmas works for you. In Christmas, or at Christmas, Jesus came down to lift you up. He came down for those who were lowly, those of humble estate, he came down for the needy. But see, at Christmas, God himself became lowly. He took on himself humble estates. He became a needy baby <coughs> born to an unwed girl. And the Bible tells us in Philippians 2, he took upon himself the nature of a servant. So that you who are lowly, who are in need of God's mercy, who have nothing aside from him, might be lifted up. That's what Christmas is all about, right? The Bible goes on to say that Jesus took the nature of the servant and he humbled himself, there's that word again, 
He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. And yet, it says, God exalted him to a highest place. Been saying this earlier. Gave him the name that's above every name. But at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is King of Kings, right? He is Lord of Lords. That is how his mercy comes to you. Jesus came down and was exalted so that you who are down may also be exalted in the eyes of God. And see, folks, when you, when you realize that he did this for you, he went to that extent to win you. That he was willing to take on humble estate for you so that you might be lifted up. When you get that, when it, when it sinks in, that will transform you from the inside out. God will do this for me. So we thought about what is it? The mercy of God. We thought about why do we have it? We thought about how we access that, and that is through Jesus. So let's think about that. If we absorb, if we take that truth into us, if we, we take Christ by faith and we bring him into the center of our lives, then what difference should that make to us? What difference does that make to us, if you understand it? Three things. First of all, the difference it makes, if it clicks, if you get it, whether for the first time as you hear this, or, 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 or uh, for, you know, as a time of refreshment and sort of refocusing, if, if, it, if you understand what Jesus has done for you at Christmas, then, like Mary, number one, you will erupt in praise. You will erupt in praise. You will be filled with awe and worship like Mary. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She wants to shout it out. She, she wants to make much of, of Jesus, make much of his mercy. My soul magnifies, magnificat. Make him famous, make, him, make his renown be, be increased. That's what happened to Mary. That's what happened to Elizabeth moments before. And that is what happens to anyone who sees Jesus in this new light. When they see what he has done, they will be evoked to praise and worship and awe at his splendor, at his mercy, at his goodness to someone like me, an undeserving, sinful person. First difference it makes is that you will erupt in praise. It looks different for everyone, right? Okay, that you will be filled with a deep awe and worship to the God of mercy. Second thing, second difference it will make to you, you will look at yourself differently. You'll look at yourself differently because when you see what God did for you personally at Christmas, you will realize what amazing significance you have in his eyes. And this is really important because you might feel uh, far away from God or, or, or so lowly that he, will, he, he can't save someone like you or he won't save someone like you because you're, you're so dark, you're so lowly. Maybe you have spent a lot of your time or significant portions of your life at the bottom of the pit of depression or, or, or self-loathing or despair. Perhaps you feel ugly, perhaps you feel ashamed, maybe you're filled with guilt from previous sins from earlier in your life. But when, you, when it clicks, when you understand what God has done for you at Christmas, when he considers you one of his, that he came for people like you, then you will look at yourself differently. Jesus didn't come to lord it over you in condescension. He came alongside you in humility that he might lift you up. And once you understand that, that he would do that for you and for someone like me, you think to yourself, if that's how God rates me, 
if that's how he sees me, then how can I realistically rate myself any differently? How can I think I know better than God? If God would do that for me, how can I rate myself differently? He exalts those of humble estates. Because of his mercy, I am exalted. The Son of the Most High, the King of Kings, came to me. That changes how you will see yourself. Let that sink in. You were up in praise. You will look at yourself differently. Thirdly and finally, you will look at others differently. Because it's not just yourself. It is others. Every culture, every group, every tribe, every family is generally brought up to look down at another culture, group, or family. That's just the way it happens. You're taught to look down on someone else, some other group, some other type of person. Of course, that's pride. That's, that, that, is the, that is the definition of pride right there. Looking down on someone else, thinking you're better or somehow more privileged or better off than other people. But when you see, again at Christmas, that God not only has come for you, but has come for all types of people. He has come to raise up the lowly of all kinds, whether it's socially, psychologically, whether they're underprivileged, whether it's disaffected. If you realise that he came for them too, then we as his church, we who are defined by being under God's mercy, we are compelled to go out and show that mercy to all people. There is no one off the chart for us that we cannot and should not show and declare the mercy of God to, right? You will look at others differently with the mercy that God shows you. All types of people, all backgrounds, we will show his mercy, we'll tell of his mercy. This is what we as a church, this is what you as individuals must do if you consider yourself under the mercy of God. We have a great opportunity to live out something of this next weekend as we serve, as we gather, as we hope to bring people in to hear more of Jesus, to demonstrate community and love and acceptance and care, and to talk about the good news. We want to refresh ourselves in the mercy of God. Just now we want to hunger and pray for others to come to the mercy of God. Come and receive that mercy. So they and we, like Mary, might erupt with praise and thanksgiving for what he's done for someone like me.